This podcast is brought to you by GoMoto, the service lane kiosk that grows your business. Want to increase revenue, improve the customer experience, and maximize service efficiency? Visit GoMoto.com to learn more. That's G-O-M-O-T-O dot com. Welcome to Daily Drive for Tuesday, May 24th, 2022. I'm your host, Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News. And I'm Kellen Walker. On today's episode, a new EV battery plant is coming to the Hoosier State. Shanghai's COVID lockdown is causing more problems for Toyota. And a federal judge says Bob Brockman must stand trial for tax evasion. Plus, more on the Working Relations Index study that shows Stellantis supplier relations tanking. Now let's run through all the news you need to know to keep you up in the auto industry. Indiana is getting a new EV battery plant. Stellantis and Samsung SDI made the announcement today. The companies want to have the plant up and running by 2025. Stellantis is finally ramping up its EV production plans. It signed a memorandum of understanding with Samsung SDI in October to build lithium-ion batteries together in North America as part of a joint venture. The investment size was not immediately disclosed. The move comes just two months after Stellantis and LG Energy Solution said they would invest $4.1 billion in a battery plant in Canada. Toyota is hitting the brakes on more production. It's running low on parts because of Shanghai's COVID lockdown. Toyota's decision represents a worldwide cut of about 100,000 vehicles for June. That move is fueling concerns that supply chain bottlenecks could continue to be a problem even as the city gradually reopens. Toyota aims to produce an average of 850,000 units a month through August, and so far, It's not cutting back on its fiscal year output target of 9.7 million vehicles. Auto supplier Piston Group says it plans to build EV batteries in Van Buren Township, Michigan. That's about 25 miles west of downtown Detroit. Piston Group is owned by former Detroit Piston and two-time NBA champion Vinnie Johnson. The company will manufacture the batteries for tech startup Our Next Energy, or One. The battery company says its packs increase range while also reducing cost, and it says it will eliminate concerns over nickel and cobalt supply chains as well as safety. But the company didn't announce anything with a dollar sign on it. We don't know how much is being spent or how many workers will be involved, but one is putting the pieces in place to supply an EV manufacturer. And Jamie, this is the story that caught my eye. Former Reynolds and Reynolds CEO Bob Brockman will stand trial for tax evasion. A federal judge has rejected claims that dementia leaves Brockman incompetent for trial. The former auto dealership software company executive faces a 39-count indictment. It's the largest tax evasion case against an individual in U.S. history. Mm-hmm. Prosecutors allege that Brockman used a complex trust structure in the Caribbean to hide $2 billion in income over two decades. And a quick correction from yesterday's episode. In the report about luxury registrations, I gave you the wrong number for Genesis. Over the first three months, it was 12549 And those are today's headlines. Now, Jamie, Stellantis got a big dose of reality recently with the Plant Moran's Working Relations Index Study. Now, that's the report that ranks automakers based on their supplier relations. Now, remind us, Jamie, what led up to this problem for Stellantis and how big of a deal is it? It was rough. Stellantis in 2021, last year, already had the worst score in at least a decade 
And then it took one of the sharpest downturns ever. So it went from worst to even worse. You know, of course, it appears to be driven entirely by the changes in the terms and conditions. Stellantis kind of quietly made these changes to, for their suppliers, demanding more cost savings, deciding for themselves when a contract would come to an end. Suppliers didn't like it. And, and then we got to see the numbers about just how much they didn't like it. And you dug into that story and more about the study itself with automotive news editor Lindsay Chappell. We'll listen in on that conversation coming up next on The Daily Drive. Listen to Fred Hayes, service manager at Temecula Valley Buick GMC, and Philip Candido, fixed operations director, talk about their experience with GoMoto in their service drive. Before GoMoto, the backups in the service lane were due to not being able to get to the customer in a, in a timely manner. There's times where menus are passed over where the advisor forgets to tell them, hey, it needs its major service. And now with the GoMoto, customers are presented with a maintenance package every time. The time freed up from not having the customer sitting in front of them every single time they come in. It helps them be more efficient. It helps them focus more on the customer's concern and the, the maintenance and service of the vehicle. Before GoMoto, we would average approximately 130000 in service gross. The kiosk in the service drive doubled the gross profit in the dealership. It's amazing, 100%. Using the GoMoto kiosk makes the dealership more profitable. Want to increase revenue, improve the customer experience, and maximize service efficiency just like Temecula Valley? Visit GoMoto.com to learn more. That's G-O-M-O-T-O dot com. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. We've been talking this week about Plant Moran's Working Relations Index that looks at how automakers and suppliers are getting along. Lindsay Chappell is a longtime news editor here at Automotive News, and he's our institutional expert on suppliers and manufacturing. Here's my conversation with Lindsay. Lindsay Chappell, welcome back to Daily Drive. Good to be back. So, Lindsay, you have been writing about the Working Relations Index, about how suppliers and automakers are getting along, or not so much, that uh, study by Plant Moran. The big story this year, by far, was Stellantis. I mean, what an epic low. What did, what did you see in there? I think what we're saying is the residual of years of uh, regrouping going on at Stellantis and before that Fiat Chrysler and I mean how far back do you want to go service <laughs> they have been reorganizing and and recrafting who they are and that takes a toll on purchasing departments and it takes a toll on individual leadership and it takes a toll on the supply base yeah I mean in the short 25 years that I have been covering <laughs> the auto industry Right. This company has changed hands four times. Right? right. I mean, it's like you can barely get through a product cycle with the same ownership. It was, you know, 1998, Daimler Chrysler. What was it? 2006, it became Chrysler LLC. Mm -hmm. Then you've got the bankruptcy and Fiat Chrysler and now Stellantis. It's just been uh, this constant churn. And every time somebody new comes in, they're like, oh, well, you're doing it wrong, or here's a chance for us to save a billion dollars. Let's make a bunch of rapid changes. Look, I mean, purchasing is one of the price you pay for the goods, you know, that go into your product is one of the levers 
management can control. But what's the damage in, you know, coming in and just unilaterally making changes where maybe, you know, a whole army of purchasing executives have been trying to build relations and establish common practices? It would be interesting just for a minute to, to remind uh, our uh, audience why this thing even exists, why Plant Moran does this. And it goes back to, you know, early, I don't know, 2002, 2003. There was this feeling uh, in the auto industry that there were two teams. There was Team Tokyo and Team Detroit. And Team Tokyo seemed to be doing everything right. And Team Detroit seemed to be struggling to do things right. And the idea of this uh, supplier survey was you know, to really hold up a mirror and say, look at what you're doing to the, your supply bases. And you had forever, you had Toyota, Honda, and Nissan working in harmony with their supply bases. And you had Ford General Motors and Chrysler or Stellantis, whoever you wanted to call it, really having difficulties with their supply bases, doing things wrong. And GM was the worst of them all. They lived through years of just squeezing their suppliers for money. And, and you, could, you could say, well, it was necessary or that's the nature of business, whatever. About, I don't know, 2012, 2013, as we came out of the recession, everybody seemed to get it. General Motors just had an awakening. I guess it was 2015 where they said, hey, we can do better at this. Let's, let's improve in our relations. Let's see what else we can get from our supply base. And it was this miraculous turnaround at GM where GM said to suppliers, help us, help us, give us ideas, show us how we can save money and we'll split it with you. We'll split the savings with you. You'll make money, we'll make money. And you can see GM's performance just fly up. And about that same time, unfortunately, there was a guy named Carlos Ghosn running Nissan, and he was squeezing anything he could squeeze to save money. And you saw Nissan just departing from the Japanese and doing worse and worse and worse. But through it all, one company still never seemed to get it, and that was Stellantis. <laughs> yeah, GM has been fascinating. You know, of course, for so many years, the executives, and I, I so often think of uh, former CEO Rick Wagner, and he would always say, you know, big ship, slow turn, right? Because uh, if you're moving a giant freighter, you can't whip it around a corner like you can a little a little sailboat or a, a runabout of some sort. They change so slowly, but importantly, right? I mean, right, they didn't right. immediately after working at Numi with Toyota become lean manufacturing experts. But they really did, over the course of decades, learn to implement those tools in a way that work with their workforce and with their supply base. They learned how to work with suppliers. You know, it's like the change is so incremental. It has, had been so big. And, you know, but it adds up over time. And, of course, Nissan being the special case that it is and uh, has also been curious. You brought up Nissan and the importance there of its, you know, fall from the top, but it did make a bit of an improvement. Uh, it was up a, up a few points. Ford was down a few points. Were these meaningful changes or is really, is it only the, the 40 point drop by Stellantis that is really worth keeping an eye on? 
I think it's a very telling. I mean, again, this is just a snapshot of what's going on in the auto industry. Let's look at these big automakers. And you talk about it's hard to turn a battleship. They're trying to turn an entire fleet of vehicles, all their suppliers. They're trying to get everyone moving in the same direction. And I think what you've seen happen at Nissan over the last few years, the same recognition that GM had back in 2015, Nissan is remembering that's not who we are. Let's try to improve things. And they are steadily improving. I think in Ford's case, a lot of issues get cooked into this cake. And one of them is how successfully are we launching new products? How successfully are we getting uh, new vehicles out the factory door? And Ford has had some challenges. And every time they do it, you have suppliers with burned fingers. And I think that probably uh, had something to do with Ford's dip this year. Interestingly, Honda made positive strides. It's remarkable that a company can have improved supplier relations in the middle of what went on last year and the year before. Think about it. How many suppliers were on the ropes because of the chip shortage? They couldn't ship products to their customer. They couldn't get their employees in because their customers weren't running assembly lines. They were losing money. You've seen a lot of losses coming out of the supplier world. And yet Honda improved its relations in the middle of that. That tells you something very interesting. It is. And, you know, in times of crisis, communication is extra important. And that's certainly something that that this index, this survey measures time and time again, right? How well do you communicate all the different things? You and I were both just down in Nashville. I was down in, in your neck of the woods. And you led a really thoughtful discussion among a bunch of supplier executives about this time, you know, of chip crisis and worker shortage and dealing with COVID protocols and all that. From that conversation and just your years of experience, I mean, how important are those working relationships in that sense, just the day-to-day, the nitty-gritty, whether it's, you know, crisis times or, or normal times? What's it all mean? As you said a minute ago, I mean, they're leading their supply chains through uh, really uh, rough seas but where are they leading them to? And the answer is they're leading them to a world of trauma and change. The world is shifting to electrification. Uh, The supply bases are having to figure out how to make different products. I used to make transmission parts. Now I need to make pieces for an electric vehicle. And how much can I trust my OEM customer to actually deliver the goods? They've never made an EV before. They've never mass marketed (laughs) EVs. You know, they're telling me they want 50,000 of these and 100,000 of those. Can I trust these people? Are they talking? Are they blowing smoke? I need to be able to trust them. I need to be in their camp. I need to be communicating with my customer. My customer needs to be shooting straight with me. If I have a history of the last few years of my customer misleading me, uh, goofing, sorry, didn't quite nail it. Yeah, uh, we hipped you up for extra money on that deal, but maybe maybe uh, something will work out more in your favor on our next project. You know, if I've been dealing with that, this could be a warning sign to the automakers, particularly let's loop back to Stellantis. You know, Carlos Tavares made a point of telling the, his supply base, you folks are going to have to help us pay for these EVs. 
And at the same time, Carlos Tavares and his organization, I don't want to blame him personally, but, you know, passed a new set of contracts that, uh, you know, pretty much said, hey, if you figure out how to make more money on this than you thought, we'd like to have that money. <laughs> Luckily, they heard the howls and regrouped. So I would uh, zero in on that point a little bit. I, I think the fact that that happened right in the middle of Plant Moran completing this study is going to be really interesting. That seems to me Stellantis had a moment of awakening. They brought in a new purchasing management and they reevaluated some of their past behavior and they made changes. So it'll be really interesting to see whether next year maybe they take a very sharp upward turn. A sharp upward turn back to where they were or possibly beyond. At least a sharp upward turn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even just to get back to the poor level they were at would be a big turn upward. But we know you'll be watching it and uh, look forward to seeing it when it all comes out. Thanks, Lindsay. Thank you. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. You can get the latest news on suppliers, manufacturing, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. And if you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, subscribe, and leave a review so you never miss an episode.